Well, good day, my friends. Um, I thought I might just share, because I'm going to share something a little longer later uh, as it relates to the New Testament, uh, Christian's Bible, the New Testament, uh, and how, as I said, uh, Northrop Fry uh, instructed us to, even as Christians, if you were a Christian, you really should look at um, studying the Bible in, in, a, in a deeper way. Uh, Northrop Fry taught us that the allegories and the illusions uh, within the Bible uh, and without make it so that we should at least understand what the Bible's talking about and, and what it's making allusion to. And I'm finding that very few people have even bothered to read the Bible because of some of the things they say. And so the example I'm going to give is Peter Boghossian. This is a well-known uh, philosopher. I thought he was uh, well-versed in Nietzsche. Uh, but I wonder... Uh, and the reason why I'm giving this as an example is we all fail. I've talked about John Verveke, how uh, in his 54-hour-long uh, course on the meaning crisis, he sadly plagiarizes a couple of philosophers, and he even misses uh, the message in a couple of these examples uh, and fails to truly explain. But that's neither here nor there. My criticism of Verveke is is as I would with anybody. Um there's other issues around that, but that's a whole nother discussion. Uh, but here's another example, Peter Boghossian. Uh, I did it, well, honestly, remember, I just did a podcast where I criticized uh, Jordan Peterson and Stephen Fry, their understanding of what higher consciousness is and what Nietzsche taught. Uh, but here's an example of how people misunderstand the Bible, or in the case of Peter Boghossian, he should be well-educated enough to read this particular passage of the Bible that he brought up and do a better job of understanding what it means and, and why it might have resonated for people. So long story short, uh, I started studying the Bible again uh, when I was trying to read Northrop Fry's The Bible Code, or The Great Code. It's about the Bible, how, I mean, almost everything. I, I can't believe how many things I've found out. I mean, the one uh, that shocked even my wife is if you look at the symbol on a hospital, it's actually a snake wrapped around a pole. And that goes all the way back to Genesis or Exodus. Don't quote me here. Uh, but when Moses uh, instructed the people... Uh, to look to the staff that God told them to create. Uh, and looking to this staff uh, of an effigy of a snake would uh, heal them from venomous snake bites, right? So obviously it makes sense that this would become the symbol of healing uh, for a hospital. But the fact that we have missed this illusion completely is funny uh, and troubling. So the one section, and this is supposed to be uh, Peter Boghossian steel manning the Bible. And so he mentions um, Jesus walking on water. And he doesn't mention where in the Bible. Um, and I wonder if it's maybe because he's not as comfortable as he should be uh, about, um, you know, the Bible and particularly this passage. But if you want to follow along, it's actually Matthew 14. Uh, and it's midway through chapter 14. Uh, this is the chapter where Jesus walks on water. So many people are familiar with this particular uh, reference. But my first criticism of Peter Boghossian, he talks about how, well, trying to explain why 
this might be true or why this resonates, this story of, of Christ, of Jesus uh, walking on water. And it shocked me because he didn't say, oh, well, you know, it could be telling this, it could be telling that. He immediately went to, well, you know, physics could have been suspended for that moment. But that shows that he missed that Peter also walked on water. And it wasn't that physics was being suspended because Peter began to fall into the water while Jesus was still on the water and Jesus helped him back out of the water and back into the boat. So it wasn't a suspension of physics. But that that's completely neither here nor there. I'm just showing the, the utter failure of reason and logic here, right? Because if you had actually read it, so I'm going to read here. Uh, and straight away, so this is uh, chapter 14, 22, Matthew 14, 22. This is after a bunch of people have come to Jesus on one side of, uh, of a lake. And uh, he said, no, go ahead. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he sat them down and he started answering some questions and giving him some guidance. So after uh, a little while, right, this, so that was the beginning of chapter 14. Uh, and at 1422, well, actually at 1420, and they all ate and filled themselves. And, you know, so they had, I guess, had had a lot of their questions answered and they felt comfortable in there. They were chilling after they had eaten. Uh, and it goes on to 1422. And straight away, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side where he sent the multitudes away. Sorry, I forgot to mention he sent the multitudes away after he, after he um, gave them some teaching and, and, and fed them, right? So then he said, uh, well, I'll start over here. So, and straight away, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side, where he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the, a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Right. So here's uh, 1423. Uh, Jesus has sent the disciples that he was teaching and had fed. He sent them to the other side of the shore. And he asked his disciples to get into a boat and row across the lake. Uh, so right away, it seems a little odd, right? If the disciples can go across, there's no mention that they all got into a bunch of boats and rode across. So if they could get to the other side of the shore without getting in a boat, it seems odd that Jesus told his disciples to get in a boat. And I'm going to mention what I mean by that. So Jesus is alone at the top of the mountain. I'm going to mention that as well. So at 1422, this is Matthew 1424, sorry. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. <coughs> oh, pardon me, that came on too quick to even do a pause. And he said, 
This is uh, Matthew 14, 29. And he said, Jesus, and he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stressed forth his hand and caught him and sent unto him, one of my favorite uh, quotes, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Right? O ye of little faith. And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. So, as I said, it's not a suspension of physics, as Peter Bogosian suspected as a possibility, because Peter was walking on the water and then fell through when he begin, began to doubt. So if you actually read this as allegory, as I think it's meant to be read, Jesus wanted to go pray on his own, and he thought it was time for his disciples to be able to carve their own path, or maybe even go to the other side of the shore, metaphorically, and help these this, the, these disciples could help this uh, all of these groups. What did they call them? Uh, the multitudes, right? That were clamoring for some certainty, some understanding, some some teaching, right? But they began to doubt themselves, and the wind could even be an allegory that. The people they were speaking to on Jesus's behalf began to give them some pushback, right? As we've seen, right? When you talk to the guru directly, you're much less willing to challenge them on different ideas. But if it's his students or his uh, acolytes, you'd be much more comfortable challenging them. But as I said, with Jesus returned, even Peter had enough faith to be able to walk on water as Jesus did. Or, as I've said before, it's very similar to one of the first meetings that the Buddha had after his enlightenment under the Bodhi, Bodhi tree. He said that he floated to his meeting uh, with his uh, previous friends. Uh, there was five um, uh, aesthetics left from his uh, Indian tour. And, and they say that he, he flew to meet them. And I don't think that that was, was uh, meant to be taken literally either. And again, allegorically. So when I explain what the Buddha was getting at, I think it had to do with him being unbothered on the trail, right? By everything that he saw. Unlike when he was a prince, everything bothered him. And I think this is the same message in Matthew 14, that rather than having the guru do everything for you, Right? Pick up your mat, clean your room, and start to carry your own burden. That means not just be a disciple, but maybe even be a teacher, uh, a proxy, a praxis. And, well, I just thought I'd share that. I mean, it's always bothered me that um, this philosopher, who I do respect, had this odd little stumble when it comes to logic, reason, or even understanding allegory or myth, story, legend, whatever it may be. I just thought you might enjoy that, that uh, even amongst uh, our most learned, we can make tremendous mistakes on even and often the simplest of things.